0: I'm incredibly excited to welcome Adam Wagner onto the show. Um, I've been very keen to have Adam on this podcast given his human rights advocacy work. For our, our listeners, let me share a short bio with you. Adam is a barrister currently practicing at Doughty Street Chambers here in London. He's an experienced human rights and public law lawyer with a strong civil law background. He's acted at all levels, including in the Supreme Court and the European Court of Human Rights. Adam has acted in six public inquiries and is currently specialist advisor to the Joint Committee on Human Rights COVID-19 Inquiry. Adam is a regular commentator, human rights commentator in the media and founded the multi-award-winning human rights charity Each Other and the UK Human Rights Blog. He also hosts the Better Human podcast. We will, I'm sure, hear more from Adam about his interesting career shortly, but for now, welcome Adam to The Passion Factor. So, First of all, I ask all my guests, really, where did it all start? What motivated you to work in the human rights field?
1: Um, I decide, I didn't do law at university um, for my BA, um, and, I, and I actually did a master's in political science um, later, um, following um, a year when I worked in a, um, a Jewish youth movement. So I wasn't really thinking about law at all um, during that period but I was always very interested in sort of philosophy and politics and just you know the world generally and also social activism and I was very involved in a, in a Jewish youth movement which um, was focused on social activism and um, and led that movement and that was a big part of my sort of childhood and early adulthood and really sort of set in place a lot of my values. So I was looking for a a career that would be um, socially responsible um, and also I was attracted to the idea of being part of a profession where I could you know um, get some sort of financial um, independence and be able to live in london i'm I'm not from London so I didn't have sort of family to um, to live with while I was doing my my law degree so the idea of being able to get some sort of funding um, from the inns of court to support those early years. and um, My studies was really important. Um, and it just seemed, you know, the the, the the human rights bar was just sort of developing. The Human Rights Act was quite new when I started um, studying law in 2005. So it was just an interesting and growing area and one which I thought I could, um, you know, get involved in. It wasn't much more sophisticated than that, to be honest. Probably wasn't very well planned out.
0: I know the feeling as well <laughs> my similar journey too um, and I've kind of set out just very briefly in the bio there a little bit of your own career path but what has been the sort of career trajectory or career path to date?
1: Um, so I studied um, at City and then BPP my law um, stuff. and during that time during my, my conversion I applied for pupillage um, didn't get a pupillage so I had to look for something to do after bar school while I was, um, you know, in in, the, in that interim year. So I paralegaled, um at a um, at a firm called Lee Day, and which is sort of very activist, lefty firm of solicitors. And in the meantime, I had got a pupillage at one Crown Office Row, which is a kind of quite a, a sort of public law and common law set that does mostly government side public law, um, and. I did pupillage there, and then got taken on as tenant. I was there for um, nine years, including pupillage, um, and spent, you know, a, a lot of time doing the public law that I could do there, which was on the defendant side, and not really feeling it, it fit with my temperament or my interests. Like, you know, I was I I was very happy to, to do any public law and any human rights work because, well, first of all, I would find it so difficult to get a pupillage. Um, so I wasn't in, under any illusion that I could just walk into some sort of you know, claimant human rights set and um, and uh, just crack on from there. Like, as in, I tried that and the claimant human rights set had, had told me no. <laughs> so um, I decided that I'd spend at least five years um, doing the sort of defendant side work, learning my trade, getting into the courts. And also I did a, I did a number of public inquiries, um, two relating to the Iraq war so the Baha Musa and Al-Swidi inquiries if, if anybody's um interested in watching the it, it, or, or has watched the um drama that was on Wednesday night um as we record this on BBC called Danny Boy it's about the Al-Swidi inquiry it's very interesting um uh, very very interesting um drama which sort of describes that tr- extraordinary inquiry uh, but I acted for soldiers in that inquiry and, and in the Baha Musa inquiry um, so I was involved in through through the public inquiries actually, I got to know quite a lot of people in other chambers and that 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 helped me think about where my next move would be. Because I intended for quite a long time um to to move um at some point because I wanted to do claimant work. Um and then at the same time I always had a what started as a sideline and became much more than a sideline of, of this sort of human rights public advocacy work. So I set up a, a blog called the UK Human Rights Blog when I was a pupil, and that became really successful and well read, and was a brilliant way for me actually to learn about human rights, which I didn't know very much about at the time, although I kind of pretended to publicly. Um, it, was, it was a real case of sort of fake it until you make it kind of um, situation with that, that people assume one of the one of the benefits of being a barrister, although it's it's not really one that you earn, is that you have a sort of public cachet. So you can speak about an issue and people say, oh, well, it's a barrister saying it, so they must know what they're talking about. But actually, th- one of the key skills of a barrister is to appear to know what you're talking about when you don't know what you're talking mm-hmm. about, or you've only just found out about the thing you're talking about um, two hours before, which is what we do every day, basically, um, or as you get, until you get more senior is what you do every day. Mm-hmm. So I, I was I did the UK Human Rights blog and then I decided to try and set up something more sustainable that wouldn't rely on me um, writing every day, but also was would be um, more focused on um, the, the general public rather than semi-experts. So, I set up a charity called Rights Info, which became Each Other, which is focused on it's focused on improving public understanding and access to human rights, but also doing storytelling around human rights to get those stories into the public culture, which I thought was a real problem that the public culture didn't really get human rights apart unless you were taking the sort of Daily Mail approach to human rights, which is, this is all a foreign imposition um, created by um, lawyers to line their own pockets kind of approach, um, which I thought was wrong. So um, th- that side of things, I-, I actually took off really three years um, in that period while I was at One Crown Officer. I was only working as a barrister about half the time, so I was directing this new charity at, at the other half of the time, although I never really presented it in that way, but that's what-, what I was really doing. Um, and from then, I um, after-, after I moved out of th- the direct re- day-to-day running of that charity and started chairing the board, I decided it was the right time to move chambers so I did I moved at the beginning of 2018 to Doughty Street which is you know um, pretty much entirely claimant human rights focus and that's what I do now.
0: That's really interesting and I, I definitely agree with you about the point about doing both sides of the coin I was a government lawyer for four and a half years and I don't think that would have set me up for my human rights career had I not had that government experience. Um, so as you know, this um, podcast is for people who are looking to break into the human rights sector. Um, and there are kind of a, a few sort of questions uh, around that. Um, I suppose, first of all, sort of what skills and qualities do you think somebody needs to work in the human rights field?
1: It, it's, I mean, it's a really broad field. There's, you know, the, there's a huge v- um, variance or variety of r- jobs you can have in the, what's broadly described as the human rights field so ranging from being um, working in an, a non-government org- organization or a charity which deals with social rights or the rights of asylum seekers or um, the rights uh, health rights it, uh, pretty much across the whole range of, of society or international human mm. rights which is its own thing and, and very different to domestic human rights local human rights And then there's the legal side. And I think there's a there's a lot of people that would say I work in human rights law who people might not or a student might not think, oh, that person works in human rights law. You know, criminal lawyers um, deal with a lot of fair trial issues, miscarriages of justice, Um, government lawyers, public authority lawyers. There are a lot of human rights experts in in those institutions um, who are extremely important in the. Um, grand scheme of the human rights legal system, and then there are probably the, the sort of media portrayal of the human rights lawyer, which is more the um, campaigning barrister type. Mister um, um, Darcy in in um, Bridget Jones has a lot to answer for um, the Colin mm-hmm. Firth character um, in that respect. So I think there's there's a really broad range, and 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 I'm not sure there are common features to all of those different jobs, but I do think. Um, that commitment to human rights as an ideal is important. Um, it's important, and it should be important whether you work for public authority or you're a campaigning lawyer or work in a charity. That ultimately you you are doing that because you think that the uh, that there needs to be some um, recognition of basic fairness, dignity, and equality in the way that we treat people. So I think that commitment is really important. Um, I think as, as a human rights lawyer, um, you have to be, to, to use a very um, trendy term, you have to be very resilient um, to m- navigate your way through this area which is just really difficult. There's very few jobs, mm-hmm. there's very, um, the, the, the jobs themselves can be very stressful and poorly remunerated and you can get, you can do a lot for people who don't appreciate and what you're doing, you can get a lot of, um, you know, collateral um, abuse when you stick your head above the parapet publicly. So it is quite a, it can be quite unforgiving. Um, It can be quite rewarding. Um, So I think you have to be quite tough. um, And also you have to be quite empathetic, um, although not all barristers would necessarily fit that mold or fit that description. Um, And I think you, you need to be, able to I think a really good lawyer particularly can see things from different perspectives if you can't see things from different perspectives it's very hard to do your job well because you'll never really understand the argument that's coming coming about to come and hit you in a case um I you know, struggle with that all the time um but it's it's just a skill you have to develop otherwise you you'll get beaten
0: definitely so I agree with that um and you mentioned there about the challenges of just finding a job in this sector. So again, for people who are listening to this, i about how to create a good first impression. And I'm sure you've sat on the side where you've looked at lots of CVs and, and recruited for, what in your view makes a, a good standout human rights CV or, and and or cover letter? How can people stand out from the crowd?
1: That's really hard to answer because you know, I, I do a lot of um, considering applications um, for pupillage and other things. And I just find it, um, you know, I, it's quite individual. So what, what I think stands out might be different from what someone else stands out. Um, but I, I think one thing being, you know, actually having a bit of personal experience, personal, a personal story to tell is always good. Um, not everybody has a personal story to tell. But if they do have a personal story to tell, you know, why they've got into this, why it matters to them, that can really help. Um but you might not have that. I think, I personally quite like it when somebody um, is a bit, um, shows a bit of pizzazz in, in their application, so it takes a bit yeah. of a risk. Um, other people might see that as a negative, that's the problem. Um, but I think that taking the risk and standing out is, is can be quite good. Um, in a way, it's it's the same with legal submissions. Sometimes you have to take a risk and say something which is gonna jar the judge. And it might jar the judge in a way which is um, in a way which is which which helps or or, or hinders. But I guess the, the, the thing you don't wanna be is, is forgettable um you want to you know you might be right um and still be forgotten or you might be the right candidate and still be forgotten so i think there's an element of that but it's very it's very quite personal and quite subjective
0: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and um but there is so much competition out there and young people are constantly sort of thinking what do i need to do to just kind of make my you know as you say, make myself more more sort of noticed noticed by the um the recipients. Um, And and the the final question around this is just about sort of advanced study and having a master's degree. And again, many positions now in the human rights sector, particularly perhaps going in the legal direction, are asking for masters, a master's in public law or public international law. Again, just be interesting to hear your thoughts on that. And again, what might be the right time to do that?
1: Um, it's really hard because masters are expensive um, mm-hmm. and you can't get them funded. So I, I, I'd be, I'm very reticent to say, yeah, you need a masters to get into a good chambers because that seems unfair. Um, you don't need a masters to do the job. I think if you can do a masters, um, it's, it's going to help you because unfortunately the situation is you have very few jobs, uh, very few pupilages, say in, in at the bar. And a, and a very, very, very many applicants. Um, I'm just, I mean, just to contextualise, you know, I'm at Doughty Street where, I mean, I didn't even get an interview from Doughty Street in two sets of applications. I had a master's. I had a, a first-class degree from a good university. Um, I had what I thought was some good relevant experience, although maybe not relevant experience, which spoke to um, the people who were looking at it at the time. So, um, but when I'm looking at applications, look, you're, you're going to be, if you're up again, if you've got 50 candidates and you're marking them for academic um, prowess, which I think is a relevant factor for considering applications for barristers, because it's quite an academic job, then you are going to mark somebody who's got a master's more than somebody who's got a BA. Um, and you might mark somebody who's got a PhD even, even more than that. Um, and, it, and it can help in the job. You know, I, I quite regret not having not doing a master's in an LLM sort of if I had known at the time. I was going to be doing law, I probably would have chosen that rather than political science, because I, I wish I'd known, I wish I had had that opportunity to really get, get into the foundational principles of human rights, which I have had to learn on the job um, instead. Although I did, I did cover in my, in my master's, I did cover sort of international humanitarian intervention, um, and that sort of side of the human, you know, international human rights, quite, did quite a lot of international human rights, but I just didn't. Um, I would have liked to have done that. I would have liked to maybe have done it after a few years at the bar um, because it would have given me that sort of upgrade in my own personal knowledge that probably would have been helpful at the time. But it wasn't, you know, it, was, it, w- it would never have been the right, time. I couldn't afford it. It's the, it's the, it's the true answer. Like I, w- I just couldn't afford it yeah, to spend 10,000 10, or whatever it would have cost and mm-hmm. not be earning for that year. I mean, maybe I could have done it part-time, but it was probably it wouldn't have gone down down well, um, when I had very small children, um, child or or children to, to do night, nighttime study stuff. So I would have liked to have done that in an ideal world. Um, I would, you know, I've still got a sort of hankering to go off and spend a semester somewhere and just study, study things and sit in libraries and do things that I used to really enjoy. Um, but it just seems increasingly unlikely, (laughs) just hard to, it's hard not to work, um, you know, there it is. It's being a yeah. grown up.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I talk about the masters, particularly sort of maybe I understand your point about the bar, but sort of more widely, sort of for international yeah. work and things. It's increasingly becoming now the norm that sort of masters are are being sought after, even for an internship at the at the UN, etc. So, um, well, there's I,
1: some quite there's some quite practical masters, aren't there, for international law? Um, I remember when I I did a masters at Columbia um, in New York, and and they they do um they have an international um, school where, which is quite, a, so you, and there's a two-year master's there, which was very practically focused. And it was seen as the, the master's that you do if you want to work in the UN or in, in government, particularly American government. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, I mean, I think those kind of practical masters where you hear from lots of people who are in the field, but also people are doing those masters um, maybe early, early or mid-career. So they might be in there, you know, a little bit older than, you know maybe maybe in their 30s rather than their 20s i think that 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 sounds really good and interesting and if you can do if you can just if you can do that then amazing And you probably make amazing connections as well
0: yeah absolutely just have to find the funding
1: for it there we go. yeah yeah just just have to just that little <laughs> just question how are you going to pay how are you going to pay for it yeah exactly um
0: so leaving that kind of journey or the start of the journey in um we're sitting here in the middle of lockdown um but can you just for the listeners, describe a sort of typical day in the life of a busy human rights barrister, um, sort of what what it looks like sort of from, from day to day. And I know no day is, is the same, obviously.
1: Um, no, my day, no day for me is the same. Um, and my my days are probably the least the same of, of most human rights barristers. Um, I spend, I don't know, I mean, what have I done today? I'm working on, I'm, I'm in the high court in the morning to try and appeal. Um, Uh, 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 something in relation to um, one of the protest injunction cases that I'm involved in so I'm preparing for that at the same time I've been speaking to a conference in Edinburgh um, where I gave the the keynote this morning about um, what went wrong during the COVID pandemic COVID has been just an enormous part of my work for the last 15 months Um, so I do a lot of stuff around that work and public speaking and media things um, what else have I been doing I'm acting in a an inquiry at the moment which I've been dealing with on and off um, today I'm you know <laughs> it's it, and every single day I mean that's one of the things I do love about what I do is I have incredibly varied days mm-hmm. i'm I'm quite a sort of um uh, what's the right word? Um, I like to have lots of things on the ball at the same time that's the kind of person I am. Um, and I'm quite. I, I like to be creative. I like to be doing creative things as well. It's an important sort of part of my personality. So I feel like a good day is a day when I've um, when I'm doing multiple things and you know, and I can uh, exercise different facets of of what I enjoy.
0: I know the feeling about having too many balls in the air to juggle, and I, and I have those days where it just all crashes and burns sometimes. <laughs> um, and just sort of on that have you sort of faced any setbacks or challenges in your career
1: oh god yeah I mean (laughs) so many (laughs) um oh I don't know I mean I mean I've already spoken about getting rejected 23 applications out of 24 for pupillage including a whole year of, of getting and I know lots of people go through that I know lots of people go through it for a lot longer time than I did but it was, um, you know, it was quite a hit to my ego. Um, I think I was quite overconfident that, that when I was making my applications, I think it was a very important thing to have happened because it, it gave me a taste of what was going to happen for the rest of my career, which is that nothing would come easy. You know, no, nothing comes easy at the bar. I mean, maybe it does for some barristers, but I, I, not for many. I think it's a really hard job and you have to work really hard to do it just well enough to, you know, to fulfil your professional obligations, let alone be a sort of star of the bar kind of person. Um, and I find I have to work. You know, there's the the, the harder I work, the better I do. Um, and and there doesn't seem to be a, a limit to that. As in, the the I never never seem to have done enough work to get to prepare for anything. Um, and and I don't mean that in a sort of you know um, panicky way. I just mean that the you can always do more and that is very stressful um that is what makes the 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 job quite stressful is that you know that every minute you spend preparing for something is going to be a minute you know is going to be well spent but that means you are constantly juggling and understanding and trying to figure out how you're going to um you know balance the all the different competing demands um you know losing in court is really tough um you you I'm the kind of person I I generally will blame myself um and and try and figure out what I did wrong um even when I kind of know deep down that probably the outcome would have been the same no matter what what I did um but you know I try and learn and try not to be too down but um, my my wife has to sort of pick me up (laughs) quite often when those things happen um but I don't know um what else I've been applied for loads of things that i you know haven't got or have been sort of summarily rejected from um have been dropped from cases um because i just you know stuff happens or i've got something wrong and that sort of thing And that happens i think to every barrister i mean maybe there are some barristers it doesn't happen to um, it's just a really you know it's it's a hard job um and and, and i try and i make it a lot harder for myself by taking on lots and lots of other things um, like, you know, running a charity and doing sort of public advocacy stuff and um, and getting involved in spicy political issues um, publicly, which I don't have to, but I do. Um, so I make it very hard for myself. But, um, but on, on balance, um, and particularly the last few years, I, I get a lot from it and I really enjoy it.
0: Absolutely. And, and we learn from every experience like that, right? It's how we kind of deal with it. And then we move on from that. But yeah, at the time, yep. I understand it's not great. So sort of bringing it to a close, oh, a long time. Um, you've alluded to it, but we work on really difficult, challenging stuff, right? Which kind of affects us and difficult issues and torture and death penalty and sexual violence. And it affects, you know, the work that we do. And, and I suppose what advice can you offer to young people as they're starting um, to think about this work and that sort of self care angle and how we look after ourselves as professionals.
1: Well, hmm. <laughs> I'm just wondering if I'm the best person. To, am I the best person to be to be uh, uh, giving wisdom on that? Um, maybe ask my family <laughs> if I'm if i the best. Look, I mean, I tell you how I deal with self care. Um, first of all, I um, exercise every day. Um, and I try and make sure that, I, you know, while I've been working at home, I go for a cycle ride every single morning um, before I start my day um, for, uh, I, you know, for 45 minutes, an hour um, and try and, you know, during the lockdown, try to sort of put that together with going grocery shopping or, or whatever. But that that I've, I've figured out is a really important sort of aspect to my own self-care um, and, and doing that keeps a lot of other things um it helps with a lot of other things because otherwise, I I'd, I'd, otherwise I I'd just get into a kind of um, um, a real sort of funk, um, of overwork and under exercise, and I find that very difficult. So, that for me is, is, is very important. Um, for someone who's quite sort of parapetetic, you know, uh, constantly going from one thing to the other, um, it's quite important for me to try and minimize distractions when I can. I'm not always very good at it, but particularly when I'm with my family, um, you know, my kids are actually pretty good now at telling me to get off my phone and get off Twitter and that sort of thing. Um, they've, they've been trained well, um, or they've trained themselves. So that's, that's another thing is you know, the, the social media world, the email on your phone world is, is just makes everything um, frantic and difficult. Um, and sometimes you've just got to um, take yourself away from it. I remember someone saying to me, um, at my old chambers, um, I, I think it was um, um, my friend Martin Downs, who's a barrister at one conference office. I remember him saying to me, I think, over some difficult situation I was in, he, he said, look, you know, it's only work. Um, and, you know, and that's someone who, you know, like a lot of barristers cares deeply about the work that he does, but, Sometimes you just have to say it's only work. Um, yes, it's important. Yes, it can be in some of the cases I'm involved in, you know, practically life and death kind of work, but it is, it's not your life, it's somebody else's life. And it's you it's your work and it's their life. Um and, and I think you've got to sometimes disassociate yourself. And if you don't disassociate yourself, you will um your mental health will just take a take a dive because you can't live you can't be in the shoes of everyone you're working for or working with um, you have to be you and you have to be you're ultimately as a barrister you're providing a professional service um you're being paid to do it on the whole sometimes not but on the whole you are or at least you're under some sort of contract and that's what it is and you can do as much as you can do but you have a life as well and you have um you know you have a life and you have um you've got to you've got to protect yourself and protect your family so I think that that for me is a work in progress I'm not always as I don't always practice what I preach which makes me a bit uncomfortable preaching about well-being and about um about that sort of thing I think the other thing is and I think the bar's pretty good at this is always be there for other people when they ask Mm. and always offer yourself to other people um and and that's it's just it's just such an important part of, of the bar and being self-employed because if you don't, th- there's no one really. You know, you don't have a line manager, you don't you don't have a HR structure. It's just not you just don't have even the minimal support that you get in another kind of job. Um, not least when we're all sat at home like we are at the moment and generally not in chambers. So I think being there for other people, um, be there for other people and and don't be afraid to ask for help because people will always be. I've never ever asked a, asked a barrister for help and not had a, a really generous reply and a really generous um, answer. So I think that, it, that I mean, it starts from people. In fact, it starts from law school. I remember, I remember thinking at law school and it was one of my better realizations that the people I was at law school with would be the people I was at the bar with and the bar is not a big profession. Um, And I better treat those people nicely and treat them well um, because they'll come back, you know, they'll be there again. You can't escape these people. They are like it or not. They are going to be your colleagues Mm -hmm. for potentially for decades. So, you know, I I think that, that esprit de corps, that, that um, self, that, that um, community, I'm just really, you know, I think it's a wonderful thing about the bar um, and it's something that you should start, thinking about when you're a student you know treat these people well because one day you'll be against them in court or they will be a judge in a case that you're in court for as is happening to me sometimes now <laughs> um or or, or 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 they will be you know on an interview panel for something you you want to you need to um get into or they will just be um someone who's going to be your friend i think that that probably applies to lots of professions but it definitely applies to the bar um and, 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 all, and obviously there's a recipro- there's a reciprocity to that as well. If you are there for other people, they will be there for you down the line when you need them.
0: Yeah, and that, that's wonderful. I, I couldn't agree more with you that, on that point because it's a small world. And certainly I find that just in the human rights world, you're never very far from somebody, two or three degrees from somebody, and it's people that you've passed in your professional life. But that being nice to other people and respecting other people is is fundamental, absolutely. Um, Adam, thank you so much for your time um, and for sharing your your journey with us and some great advice. Um, any final pearls of wisdom that you want to share or any final words of advice for the young people who might be listening to this and thinking, yes, I still want to go to the bar. I want to try for a few pledge. I want to, to, to make it.
1: Yeah, despite everything <laughs> I've said. Um, yeah, I mean, um, what, what would I say? Don't believe what you read in people's profiles and cvs or wikipedia pages or whatever they've got don't don't believe it although it will be you know that the the bits you read are true they are selected from they are the best possible si- um uh, summary of what that person's done um that that person has had a messy it's likely to have had a messy difficult um you know zigzaggy div- um uh path to where they've got to um and I think ultimately the only thing that combine the the only thing that you the only thing that they have in common, those people you think are the successful people that you want to follow um i th- I expect is that they have worked incredibly hard to get where they've got to. Um, that is definitely my experience of of the bar is the people who you know dedicate themselves who who work hard, who take the knocks when they can when they take when they get them. And basically, um, you know, um, are decent people towards their colleagues. I think those are the people who who, who make it. Um, and then the you know, if people want to work with you. They, the good cases will come to you. But it's it's a hard it's a hard path. Um, and if people want to talk to me, I'm always I'm on LinkedIn. You can contact me there or or Twitter. Um, or email. Um, you're very welcome to contact me and ask me questions. Um, and if I don't respond, then um, chase me. <laughs> don't, don't don't feel it's rude. I regret I'll, saying I'll that. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah no, I imagine I, 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 but I, no, look, I never do. I never do. I'm very, I, I you know it used to. I remember contacting barristers who maybe i I'd, I'd you know I didn't really have connections with barristers when I was applying for the bar. I didn't really know barristers. Um, I knew a cu- I knew a couple in Manchester where I grew up, um but I didn't know any in london where I was living um and i remember i remember there was there was one barrister who who like met me for lunch and offered to help me um and was really you know um lovely with me and then he completely stopped responding to any emails <laughs> for for you know ever again basically um and I just you know and 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 I found that so it was so difficult um so it's so difficult when you haven't got like a, you know you can't just sort of walk in and do a, a mini people' at chambers because you know somebody's just gonna do it as a favor. Um, and I think a lot of people still do that and it's unfair, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really important that you that, 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 that you reach out to people that you want to talk to or respect and see if they'll respond and if they don't respond, you know give them a little them a little nudge. Um, Because why not? I don't know. You know, as long as you're polite, you know, you'll never you'll never lose out from doing that. You might gain.
0: Totally. And I'm always telling people to kind of approach people on LinkedIn and just ask for an informational chat, just find out more about what they're working on and how they got to where they got to, where they got to now, what their journey was. And you'll be sure that somebody will, will reply and somebody will give you time. Um, absolutely. I think I spend too much time on LinkedIn. That's my
1: problem. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's a lot in, in today's day and age when we're not meeting in well,
0: exactly, it's uh, so, to, uh, uh,
1: networking events and lectures and that sort of thing, it's yeah. really hard to that's know right. how to reach out to people when you can't, um, I mean, I always felt really awkward going up to people at those kind of events and like a bit of a you know, like a real idiot. Um, you know, who am I to go and speak to X or whatever? And and also the that awkward circle that forms around um uh, people, you know, speakers at events at the end,
0: and oh, people yeah. who are wanting
1: to Thank sort you. of get something from them and 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 you, you know, and then someone with a really loud voice is sort of, you know, uh performatively having a conversation and sort of like ah so I I think I probably would have done better with LinkedIn um, than that um awkward exchange but you know just do everything you can basically and you never know
0: now's the time to get out there. absolutely you've got 101 other things to do but thank you so much for your time you've been fantastic and and really generous to share this with us so thank you
1: um it was a real pleasure and thanks very much for inviting me